Welcome everybody to today's seminar. It's a great pleasure to introduce my old friend Lassie Leskala. He's all the way over from Finland. I'm not going to attempt to speak the name of his university. He might do so first. Um, it's too complicated for me. It's a great pleasure to have him here. He's going to talk about uh, a fundamental model in, uh, in probability, so I hope you enjoy this. Thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, first, let me thank Ken for kindly inviting me to visit Ireland. This is my first time in Ireland and I find this a really nice uh, experience to see. And also a nice, it's very nice to be here in the south where it's warm and... Uh. <coughs> okay, I'm going to speak something about a toy model uh, for juggling. So, and then maybe if there's a bit of time I would like to spend a couple of minutes about some theoretical results about stochastic orders and stochastic monotonicity. First of all, let me tell you where I come from. I, now I come from Jyväskylä, which is located here in the center of southern Finland. And uh, there's a university with uh, these numbers and uh, we have lakes and forests. And uh, yeah, notable people you may heard of have heard of Alvar Alta, Sofi Oxen, Matti Nykänen, and Tommy Mäkinen, also a rally driver, you know, rally drivers. <laughs> yeah, this is how it looks, but this is more realistic now, or, or not yet the sunshine, but maybe in, in a month there will be the sun also. <clears throat> Let me introduce my friend, Harri Varpanen. He's a juggler, but also a mathematician, or maybe more mathematician and also a juggler. Um, he asked me a question, um, what happens if a juggler juggles randomly? So, what can you say about the distribution of the balls or particles? And um, to answer that question, okay, I, we thought about a little and uh, then we found that uh, it's not immediate what happens. So, so we, we did a little bit of thinking and uh, here's a model. So, What's the simplest model that you can think of about, about juggling? So, let's assume constant speed falling down, so no gravity, uh, no second order things. When something is on the zero level at hand, so then you throw it up. And, um, and um, we ignore shape, orientation, location, so it's a one-dimensional model only. And there are n particles, and uh, we throw into random heights, and then the only thing is that's structural here is the exclusion rule, so we assume that all particles should have distinct heights, so we are not juggling like four balls simultaneously. Um, okay, D does it uh, relate to anything else in reality? I, was, I tried to think, um, well, optical network switching, so if there's a photon coming up and then if there's a busy buffer, so you may want to delay it for a while. So what you do, you put it into a long cable or optical circuit, and then that's kind of a juggling, so that there there are um, in certain orbits. You can think also airport traffic control. You could think, okay, maybe it's not best to do it randomly. Um, you can think of quantum physics so that there are some energy levels which may not overlap and then there's some excitations which corresponds to jumps or throws of balls and then what else you could do if you have n balls um, you could also think of it like um, this is n equal to 3 it's a kind of a renewable process so that if these uh, heights where you throw are here, so instead of height, you think of time. Then you could think that there are um, renewable processes running in parallel, and then whenever something happens, then the next event is scheduled into a random future time. But there, all these times must be distinct, so that's the exclusion rule here. And you could think it's a parallel uh, renew renewable process, and you could think um, of some scheduling problems where um, you're not allowed to, for example, where these are scheduled, they are not allowed to know about the neighbor's schedules, so doing things randomly may be, may be some way to, uh, to obtain some kind of um, security there. But 
to be honest, uh, our motivation is juggling, so, so the rest is just speculation. Perhaps some of you may have some ideas of whether this is applica applicable in some realistic things. To write down the model, the dynamics, let's assume discrete time and space. So time, this is the positive integers, non-negative. Non and then what happens there? Let's model it as a set. So the particles are, are indistinguishable. So denote the set of particle heights by xt at time t. So what happens at the next time? At t plus 1, if no ball is in hand, so the minimum of uh, xt is uh, strictly positive, all balls just uh, fall down by one step. That's the minus 1. Uh, and in the other case, if something is uh, 0, so the next state is xt prime, where the prime is so that we take out the smallest element, and then the other balls move down by one. That's just a technical thing here. And then we add a new height, which is the throw that we make at time t. So, <coughs> so and this uh, y, t plus 1, the exclusion rule says that the, the, the new throw must end up into a height which is not uh, overlapping with this xt prime. Um, that's the model, and um, please uh, interrupt me at any time, of course, so if you see something which is not uh, clear. But... Um, yes, so when we are doing a randomness... Okay, let's... Just one thing about the model, so the number of particles remains fixed at all times, so if we start with n particles, we will remain in n particles, so the state space of this dynamical system is uh, this uh, Sn, so that the n element subsets of the integers, of the positive integers. So that's a countably infinite, so it's not too big in, in, a way, in a way. And to do it randomly, so the simplest way to do it randomly is a Markov model, so that, so that conditional on the past history up to time t, where we throw is independent of the past, as Ken just said. And then we do a throw. Uh, if the other balls, are currently at heights at, and at prime is the next um, where they land the other ball. So then we have a, some probability distribution where we throw, and that distribution should be uh, satisfy the exclusion rule that we are not throwing where the other balls are. Okay. So so the only randomness in this system is these throw heights. Everything else is deterministic. So you can also think this is an exclusion process, but a very special one because. There's no randomness in movements, only in the, at the boundary. And uh, that's what we like to call uh, Jackler's exclusion process. So this is the Markov chain generated by, by this um, probability distribution, U of B. And um, you can write down the transition matrix, so it's a countably infinite space, so it has an infinite matrix, which is you can write as this. And uh, yeah, I think... Um, to give you an example, the simplest example is if you only have one particle and you're throwing it and it falls down. So what happens? There's only one throw height distribution u corresponding to the empty set. So when you're throwing, there's empty space, so you can throw anywhere. And that's the new empty set. So exclusion rule becomes void. There's nothing. And then the transition matrix, if you just look at the height of the unique particle in the system, so it has this transition matrix. And you may recognize that this is the residual lifetime of a discrete-time renewal process with intra-even distribution. So, so that's why kind of uh, completing, uh, complementing this picture. So, if you have many particles, so then this one re renewal process becomes several parallel. And from renewal theory, we know that if the mean of this distribution is finite, so then there's the unique equilibrium which you can co compute with this basic thing, and if the mean is infinite, then there's no equilibrium, and especially with geometric distribution, so then the stationary distribution is geometric. So that's the kind of, for one particle juggling, that's, that's the kind of everything. Uh, but in the more general case, if you have, somebody gives you this family of measures, and then you start juggling, so does it convert somewhere or not? So that's like for me as a, as a probabilist with, uh, who likes Markov processes, so that's the first question I like to ask. So do you have some kind of stability if there's some kind of throwing rule, random rule? So, so 
because the gravity brings the balls down. So it sounds feasible that, okay, this should kind of give you stability. Or what do you think? But anyway, this rule is kind of flexible because it can be something anyway, depending on the state where the other balls are. So for example, the rule, I will always throw double the maximum height of the other balls. So, so then event, uh, evidently your balls will drift to infinity. But uh, this is not very physical. So, okay, uh, there's a little lemma about irreducibility a periodicity. So let's assume that the juggler is allowed to always to throw the first vacant height. Okay, so then, then you get uh, you get a periodicity and uh, recurrence. So I think I will skip this very simple proof. But anyway, this is what what I was uh, speaking. What is physical? So that allowing to double your height is not not really physical. So there should be something about the strength, how 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 you can throw. So what we chose technically. We chose the model so that we assume that these probability measures should be uniformly integrable. So the mean of uh, a throw height, uh, given that, uh, or on the event that uh, we are throwing above k, and then we look all the configuration. So this this should vanish. So that um, it's almost like that my throw heights are bounded in L1, so that um, the, they have a finite bounded mean height where I can throw. This is slightly stronger, the uniform integrability. But you can think that, okay, my throw height of a ball, the one plus epsilon L, uh, no, L norm should be bounded with, over all these configurations. Can you leave that there just for a second? I'm just a bit confused because it took me a while to spot where the K was. So it's. Will it K to infinity? Yeah, the sum is over X red K, so. Yeah, so you can write down it as the expectation of x con uh, restricted to the event x is greater than k. So then supremum, and then the distribution when the other balls are at heights b, so then the supremum over b, this should go to zero when k is big. Okay. We will, uh, yeah, I will, I will have some slides about uniform integrability later if you, if you uh, like to have a look at uh, details. But this is the kind of the fundamental result about this. So if you have uniformly integrable family of height distributions and the a periodicity condition is satisfied, so then there's convergence to steady-state distribution. And to look, have a look at the proof of it, we define the energy of uh, some configuration A by the maximum height in that configuration. And we look at the mean drift, so what happens on the average in one, one time step. So if nothing is, um, no balls are at hand, so everything falls down, so the, the highest ball falls down, so the mean drift is uh, minus one. If something is at hand, so then you can write down the drift uh, of, um, with respect to this function with these formulas. And here, if you look at this, it looks a little bit like the uniform integrability technical condition here. So it's the mean of a throw height y restricted to the, that you are above the highest ball, v of a. And now, and, and this condition here, um, this gives you, um, let me think, is there a mistake here? No, okay, there's minus VA here, yeah. So you bound this one by just looking at that this is probability measure, so you take all of it and that's what gives you minus one. You combine this and you combine that. You get minus one here and then you approximate this by taking the supremum of all configurations and you replace A prime by the supremum over all possible configurations. So this quantity here looks like the uniform integrability quantity and that what it is. So if you assume that things are uniform integrable, so then you can say that you can make this as small as you want by letting the V of A large enough. So you get that drift is strictly negative for all high energy configurations. So what you can conclude from this is that V is a good, uh, V is a Lyapunov function for this random system. 
And if you have a Lyapunov function for a system that gives you a stability with a uh, with, uh, classical result, which uh, I think in probability context it's usually uh, referred to Gordon F. Gordon Foster, who uh, maybe, I don't know if some of you know, I think he was at Trinity, Trinity College Dublin uh, in the statistics department. But, uh, this paper is from 53 or 1953. He was then in London School of Economics. Well, anyway, and it's the book of Sean Mine and Richard Tweedy, so where these basic theories available. But um, we have positive recurrence, we have stochastic stability, we have a unique uh, invariant measure. So, in a way, that's the basic picture. And then the next question is, okay, if you know that there's an equilibrium, can you write it down? So how, how are things distributed? If it's a one-particle um, process, then we, we can, using the renewal theory. If it's n-particle system, so maybe no, maybe no means that usually in wide generality, the family of Markov processes where you can write, where you, uh, can write uh, equilibrium is the reversible processes and somehow modifications of them. But here, because gravity is bringing your balls down and not up, so if you reverse your movie, so, so this is highly asymmetric, so there's no reversibility here, so you might not expect something general nice formulas for the equilibria here. So that's why some structure we could think, okay, what, what about some structure? So let's think of what is a nice special structure for this. For this. And so if you want to study something random, so then why don't you study something which is as random as possible? And that's like maybe the feasible thing to look. So what is maximally random thing? So if you think in terms of entropy, we can write down a Gibbs measure with energy function, some energy function age. This is some arbitrary countable space S and some parameter beta, inverse temperature. So this exponential uh, probability density here, and this is a normalizing constant, this set. So what we know about Gibbs measures is that this type of Gibbs measure, where the energy function H is here in the exponent, attains the maximum entropy among all probability distribution on this uh, space S for which the expectation, so P of H means the sum of H of X. This is shorthand for P of H. So if you think that this uh, mean here, the mean energy is bounded with a certain constant, so then you always get the maximum entropy, so somehow the maximum randomness by, by taking, looking at this Gibbs measure with this energy. And to check how it goes, so this is a little proof of it. So the entropy of Q, you can write down it as this. Because it has this exponent, you can take them out and you get log of Z plus Q of H. And then Q of H is more than P of H. So that's where you get this first inequality. And then to handle this log of Z, which is there, it depends on beta. So you use Jensen's inequality in this form so that you bring log inside this um, inside this sum, and then because there's exponential terms, so that, that's how it looks. And then what you get is the minus beta times P of H plus the entropy of P. And then you combine this and that, and uh, that's, the, that's the proof of the lemma. So then we know about maximum entropy, maximum randomness in this sense. So how to throw one ball in the maximum entropy way? We look at the energy, it's natural to think, okay, because that the energy of a particle, because there's a constant drift down, so then there's a linear gravitational potential, that's why we choose H, the energy as just the height of the particle, that's the kind of the potential energy of the, of the elementary uh, physical sense. So then the maximum entropy among all probability distributions with um, finite mean height is this one here. So the H vanishes because it's the identity. But this is what you can write down with this form. So it's the familiar geometric distribution. So if you want to throw one ball in maximum entropy way, use the geometric distribution, this distribution. But what about uh, how to throw two balls randomly so that they are not overlapping? So what's the maximum, uh, maximum uh, randomness distribution there? I spoke to Venkant Anantharam about this and uh, I thought he would 
he would have a clear opinion, but he didn't. So then, then, uh, then uh, this is the first heuristic idea that uh, first place the first ball with the maximum randomness, so the geometric distribution. And then for the second ball, given that the first ball lands at, an, at height x, so let's just uh, put the maximum entropy distribution for the second ball, like this. So that will give you a Gibbs measure on the, on the um, complement of this one point. And that looks... This Gibbs measure must have the similar form. There's, uh, there's an alpha to the power of something. But now the normalizing factor is different because this one point is excluded. So this is the form, uh, formula for uh, Z. Then if you calculate, what's the, what's the probability that uh, the set of heights takes a certain set? What's the probability of this event? So you write it down like this and you use this formula. So you get the expression like that. So there's an exponential uh, and then something there, which looks good. But then there's a x and y here. And if you look at this expression, it's uh, kind of easy to see that you cannot write this as an exponential of something. So this is not looking at a Gibbs measure. And so somehow this idea is wrong. So this is kind of a greedy way to simulate a maximum randomness, but it doesn't give you a maximal random thing here. I don't have a clear, uh, clear feeling why, but I will show you another approach. So the, throw the first ball in the same way as previously, but for the second, do this. Given that the first ball is at a height x, uh, let the other distribution be this. So that uh, for the first, this is zero. This is the x, the occupied place. So let's put alpha zero here, alpha one, alpha two, alpha three, and so on. So these are the probabilities, the weights of the probabilities to, of throwing here, there, there, there. And then you omit this occupied place. So zero weight there. Now if you do the same computation here, this is what you, what you end up with. So unfortunately my intuition is not strong enough to clearly express you why this works and the other way it does not. But uh, here's the formula. So this gives you something which is a Gibbs measure and now what's in the exponent is x plus y. So it corresponds to the energy of the linear gravitation potential, the total mass in sense, or the total, total potential energy. So this seems to be the right way to throw. And uh, to generalize this, so let's look at the certain set B and we can write down the so-called memoryless distribution, avoiding the set B with this. And to, to write down it uh, in a short form, you, you can use this type of counting function as the energy. So you count the number of points in the complement of B, which are strictly less than Y, and you kind of modify the normal geometry by this function. And why I call it memoryless, so it has uh, this type of memoryless property, if you are familiar with exponential distributions in probability. So this looks like the memoryless property, but except that there's this set B minus S here. So you are shifting the set which you are trying to avoid because I like to present things with uh, normal random variables, so here's a representation. So, so to, to construct this distribution is just take a normal geometric and then use a B-avoiding shift for it. So let Xi be a normal random variable. And if Xi ends up here, so then we use the theta B to transform it there. So in this picture, this is occupied, this is occupied, and this one. So 0, 2, and 3 are occupied places. So I just take a normal geometric here and then I shift it to the new place there. And that gives you the kind of way to uh, throw in the maximum entropy way. And for if you want to be a juggler and, and do this throwing, here, here this is what you can do because you kind of first mentally calculate this uh, geometric and then you look at the heights and then you shift and, and you throw there. Okay. Um, to, to kind of develop this idea further, you can generate, um, you can start with some set here and you can add points in a non-colliding way so that first you want to add a point x1 to, to a. So you take the union of a and then you shift x1 with this set avoiding shift. 
So, and then you can uh, generalize this so that you have many points which you want to add to A in a non-colliding way. So you always shift what you had and then this is the way to kind of, uh, I would call this the non-colliding union of certain number of points, which may not be distinct. So it gives you, it always gives you, gives you a set. If you add n points using this non-colliding union, it gives you a set with n more points. And uh, here's a theorem about the memoryless uh, high distribution uh, juggling. So the unique equilibrium is actually distributed according to non-colliding union of n independent geometric random variables. But they just must be united in the non-colliding way. And the proof is not very, um, well, it's some computations, but I think uh, we can skip it. There's nothing really special there. But maybe what's more interesting is this. So if you look at not the equilibrium, but time-dependent stochastic process XT with this memoryless JEP. So then you start with some non-random initial configuration A and you want to look, okay, what, how is my process distributed at time T? So this is, to, this is a way to represent it. So at time T, um, depending on where T is according uh, with this tau, so tau is the time when the kth smallest particle from the initial configuration has just been thrown. Okay. So you first calculate these taus and then you look at this and for example, at this time when t is just after kth throw of the initial balls, so you, sh you first um, let them... Um, ah, this means that this is the set A where you have deleted the k smallest balls. So these just drift down with unit speed at t time units and then you do uh, k times non-colliding geometric throws. Okay. And what you end up here is this, when t is greater than tau of n. What I like uh, fun about this is that these times you can calculate when you know the initial configuration. If the balls are there, you know these landing times of them. Okay. So these are deterministic uh, numbers, non-random numbers. So especially tau of n is non-random. So what happens is that this stochastic process reaches precisely its equilibrium in this finite non-random time, tau n. So it means that, okay, it's kind of Confirming to the intuition, you throw with maximum entropy because entropy cannot decrease, so it always increases. So when when you have thrown everything from the initial configuration, you have lost all the all, all the all the information precisely from this initial uh, configuration, and that's why you must be must reach your kind of complete randomness after after you have randomized everything at least once. Okay, so um, yeah. And uh, this is the way to write the equilibrium using the Gibbs measure. So you write down the linear potential energy here. So conforming to the constant drift down. And there's nothing special there. If you like, you can calculate some steady state quantities, for example, the expected height of a randomly chosen particle in the equilibrium. So it's this one in terms of this parameter alpha. The probability that all particles are in the ground state. So the probability that if I have n balls, so the probability that the one is here, one is there, one is there. So they are stacked up like this. So that's maybe the most difficult configuration that you may end up with uh, juggling. So that's the probability there. And for example, the probability that one of the particles is at hand. So it's given by this quantity. And for example, by ergodic theory, so you see that this is the, also the average throw rate in the system. So, so if you look at these formulas, okay, so for, for, uh, yeah. for juggling, these are probably useless, but, but if somebody, someone of you has some ideas about, like, um, about scheduling somehow randomly, so it would be fun to, fun to um, hear your thoughts about if any of these type of formulas would be of some use somewhere. Um, that's the, uh, the end of this story. So. Uh, I think I might have some, a little bit of time so I could chat about some extra topics. But to summarize about this juggling thing is this, that by modeling this process as a, as a set-valued Markov process, you get something which is uh, kind of easy to analyze, simple, simple, simple techniques. One point to make is here that 
is that another way, if you don't like set-valued processes, you could also write down the process like x1 up to xn, which belongs to the Rn, or no, z, z plus n. So why not model this process as a random vector in this space? So that, that seems much more easier. But actually, if you, if you do this, you're, you end up with horrible combinatorial formulas for, for when you start to write down the dynamics, because you need to keep track of uh, these identities of the ball, so everything becomes quite complicated. So this looks very, very simple, but the reason why it's simple is that you use symmetry all the time. In all the descriptions of the system, you use the symmetry that you are not distinguish which particle is which. So with these formulas, um, uh, don't do them. Um, and the two results here are that, okay, uniform integrability gives you positive recurrence. Maximum randomness gives you ultra-fast convergence to equilibrium. A couple of open things which might be interesting, uh, at least mathematically. So, what about if the throw heights are bounded in L1, so they are, there's a bounded mean height, but if they are not uniform integrable, so... Okay, you could think, okay, is your Markov process, is it null recurrent, is it positive recurrent, or where's the boundary? So, if you, if you care about such, such things, you, could, you, could like to, you might like to think about this. And the general, general system, so, because the one-dimensional renewal theory gives you everything here. So, has anybody of you heard about multidimensional renewal theory with, with this exclusion rule? So, maybe such theory exists and maybe that theory could allow you to write down a gener very general formula for this. That would be quite nice, nice to see. And one way to do it perhaps could be that by representing the, this process as a some kind of a dual of a reversible Markov process. The final question is, okay, what happens if you have infinitely many particles? So that's, I think, if some of you are physicists, that might be the first question. Like, think of an infinite initial configuration and then, you, then you, everything falls down and then you have this boundary rule. So what happens then? What, what's the condition of, is everything going to stack, stack up to the boundary or is it, kind of, is, is it possible that you get kind of spread out um, Spread, um, spread your material in the space with certain, maybe in this case you need different, different type of uh, boundary conditions here. Okay, but because I, I seem to have a little bit of time, so let me, let me say, say something about ASAP, so asymmetric, uh, sim, si, what is it? Asymmetric, is it simple exclusion process? S is for simple, A is for asymmetric exclusion process, yeah. I think that's, that's the way it's usually pronounced. So, let's have a little look about this model. There's um, zero here. There are n particles. Let's say here. And so the particles are independent. They try to jump to the left or right independently. For example, this particle jumps here if, if there's available. And there's an exponential clock. So there's an exponential clock. Each particle has a clock exponential distribution lambda to go right. An exponential clock with rate uh, eta to go left. This is uh, right. And that's left. And then when a clock rings for this particle, so if it's a, a clock to go left, but if the left place is occupied, so then you cannot go. and uh, You just stay where you are. If there's a vacant place, then you jump where you can go. So this has been, this type of uh, exclusion process have been used for, for uh, road traffic models. So because as you know that if there's a long queue of cars, if they are really close to each other somehow, for some reason the motorway slows down, even though there's no strict reason to slow down, so everybody could drive 100 kilometers per hour, but somehow this closeness of two cars, so they, they leave and so some, somebody does something randomly, so everything slows down and somehow, um, sometimes this has been tried to explain with this um, type of randomness that, um, and there are 
beautiful results in, in this theory about them. I'm not going to speak about them, but let, let, let us look at this type of thing where you can go both ways, so left or right. And from the zero you cannot go anywhere, so that's a boundary. And uh, assume that lambda is less than nu, so the rate to go right is small, because otherwise everything, everybody would go to infinity in a finite system, so there would be nothing. So they are kind of going right and left, but they will stay there. They are not going too far away. They come back because lambda is less than eta. So this system is actually rather easy to analyze in a way. So let's denote uh, why the Markov process in the wild chamber, this is uh, the ordered coordinates, strictly ordered, so like this. And we keep track of the, of the locations of the particles. And let y tilde be the free process so that you don't have the exclusion rule for y tilde, so you can jump on top of each other. Okay. So y tilde, the components of this are independent m and 1q's, and that's why the equilibrium here is a product of n independent geometric distributions. Okay. And that's the parameter alpha there for the geometric distribution. And then this y tilde is reversible, so it's a reversible Markov process, technically. So that means that you can obtain the equilibrium of y, which is a truncation of y tilde, just by truncating the equilibrium distribution of y tilde to the wild chamber here, this ordered coordinate chamber. And if you do that, and you look at the, what you get for the equilibrium of this type of ASEP, is actually precisely the same as the n-particle JEP with memoryless throw height. So somehow um, it's kind of fun to see that this Gibbs measure for the JEP also is the same Gibbs measure here. Okay, that was the one uh, little story. And the other little story, uh, I would like to say something about uniform integrability, uh, uh, one theoretical result. So, so if you know, uh, okay, uh, one of my favorite topics is stochastic orders and stochastic monotonicity. So let me write down your one order. So if you have two random variables and you want to say this is bigger than that one. So how do you say it? Okay, with some probability or on the expectation or how. So there are at least 17 different good ways to define that condition, that this is bigger than that. And this is one of them, so increasing convex order. You say that uh, two random variables are ordered in the increasing convex order, denoted this way, if the expectations are ordered for all increasing and convex test functions. Okay. So take any increasing and convex test function and look at the expectation. If they are ordered always, so then we say that these distributions, these random variables are ordered in the increasing convex order. And as you recognize, this is an order of the distribution, so for two probability measures you can write down the same thing with this, if these integrals are ordered always. Why should anybody care about this? Well, for queuing theory, if you look at um, the workload on, in a single server queue, um, so, and if xn is, uh, xn is the difference what uh, comes in and comes out, so if xn is the, what arrived to the queue during the nth uh, cycle, so this is arrival, this is what departs from a single server queue. So then you can uh, calculate the workload, how much work is there in the system at time n plus one if you count the arrival times. So with this recursion, so you take the maximum, the positive part of Wn plus the difference what comes into the queue. And assume that what comes into the queue is something random but independent. And let's look at another process with some other distributions here, other random variables coming up. So if there's increasing convex order property with this, what comes in, so somehow what comes in in this other system is, is bigger in this ICX sense, than here, then the same thing happens for the workloads. Okay. So sounds kind of plausible, but the statement is more or less only true for this order. So this order is something which is strongly connected here. Why is it so? The reason is that the function This function happens to be increasing and convex, okay? So somehow this kind of the, the dynamics of the queue is governed by some function which is increasing and convex. 
And so that's why this order is kind of strongly, strongly related to that, um, such models. So this is the proof. Okay, let's not worry about that. But, uh, but with that proof, you can check that uh, the next workloads are increasingly convex ordered. And then you can use induction here. And uh, this, is, um, this order has been proved in more general context. So, for example, if you look at two queuing systems where the arrival process is speeded up so that this is a normal arrival process and then the second process so that the time of the process is speeded up by a linear scaling factor. So then you can, you can conclude that you get a so-called supermodular order for the arrival processes. And then you get increasing convex order for the workloads. And that's uh, work of uh, Thomas Rolski and Richard Sekli and Nicola Boyerle in around 20 years ago. So kind of to motivate you why increasing convex order is important for queuing theory. So that's one of the central stochastic orders there. Another way, another uh, occasion where in increasing convex order appear is the martingale theory. So if you have a sub-martingale, something which is increasing um, stochastically, um, or the randomness is, okay, in expectation increasing. So then this such a submartingal is always increasing in this increasing convex order, so in this way. And uh, the proof is Jensen's inequality, essentially nothing much more. But um, that's, uh, this property is also goes vice versa. So if somebody gives you a stochastic process and you ask, okay, is it, um, can it be rep represented uh, as uh, the one-dimensional marginals of certain martingale or sub-martingale? So it's more or less if and only if condition that uh, if you have monotonicity in this order that there exists a sub-martingale and so on. So there's a recent book of uh, Hirsch, Profeta, Moroinet and Mark Yo called Peacocks and Associate Martingales. But what is a peacock? So peacock is something called Processus Croissant pour Locle uh, Convexe. So peacock. And that's uh, yeah, Mark Yor's uh, definition of uh, such. And it's a thick book, as usually if Mark Yor writes uh, something, so it's always a th something thick. So lots of formulas about this. Okay. So finally, what I care about this, uh, well, what I care about this today, today I care about them so that what does uh, stochastic order boundedness give you? So assume that we have a family of random variables. And there's some other random variable which is dominating all of these in certain stochastic order here. So what can we conclude about the regularity of these random variables then in this case? Okay, of course it depends on the stochastic order and it depends on the properties of M. But here I have uh, two, two special cases. So increasing convex order, what it actually gives you, it gives you a, a new way to characterize uniform integrability. So a family of random variables is uniformly integrable if and only if uh, this condition holds for some integrable random variable M. The so-called usual strong order is similar, so this is the usual strong order, uh, stochastic order, so you only dip, uh, require this for all increasing functions, uh, and, or okay, not convex, but just increasing, a stronger condition. And then that gives you a condition for tightness, so a family of random variables is tight if and only if this condition is true for some finite, so, so with a normal uh, distribution, non, uh, how do you say it, no mass at infinity, so, okay. And that's a, well, this result is kind of a trivial, so everybody must somehow know this, but, um, okay, maybe nobody wrote it like that. But this one, I believe it, it's, a, it's a new result, and, uh, and uh, with uh, one colleague of mine, Matti Vihola, we, we have submitted this work, some, um, the journal recently. And uh, to complete the picture, so this is the kind of a big picture of uh, what you can say about stochastic boundedness. So you can have strong boundedness with an P integrable random variable. You have can have increasing convex boundedness, LP boundedness, and so on. And finally here is the stochastic boundedness by a finite random variable. So these are uh, implications um, about what you get here, uniformly p integral, uniformly integrable tightness. But you can al also view this uh, picture in the uh, spaces of probability measures and metrics. So, for example, this condition he here is equivalent to the relative compactness in the p Wasserstein metric. Here you get one Wasserstein, and uh, 
this normal tightness is compactness in the Prohorov, a relative compactness in the Prohorov metric and so on. And so, um, more or less, this is the only non-trivial case here, this uh, equivalence here. Mm. All these downward implications are actually trivial, but uh, it's just a matter of writing them down. And with this uniform integrability, you can have a new look at the classical Lebesgue's theorem on dominated conversion. So in the language of probability, the dominated convergence theorem reads like this. Look at the random sequence which converges almost surely. So that means with probability one. So then, can you, do you get convergence in L1 norm? Well, the normal sufficient condition is this, that there's an integrable random variable for which this holds pointwise. But okay, in the probability sense, pointwise ordering actually, because y you can uh, modulo out the distribution, so then you can replace it by the uh, stochastic order here. And with this uh, uniform integrability, you get a sharpened version of it like this. So the almost sure convergence implies L1 convergence if and only if there's an increasing convex bound here. So in a sense, this is the right way to read the dominated convergence bound in the dominated convergence theorem. And um, yeah, okay, here are some examples. If you want to check out that this, all these arrows are actually sharp. So here's my favorite list of examples, of counterexamples for them. But um, I think I will conclude here. So thank you for your attention. Would anybody like to ask Lassie a question? Um, when you, so when you use the Gibbs measure to get the, the sort of maximally random thing, it was important that the height was what you were using for your energy. Is there any scope for using something some sort of different structure for the energy? And again, still getting nice solutions, or is it really important that it's the height? I think that, yeah, that's a nice question. I, I was thinking myself also, so my guess is that you can use some other energy, yeah, so, but it should be if you have a normal, like, a Newton's law of falling down, so quadratic thing. So my guess is that your rule of falling down should be in harmony with the energy function, but for, for Newton's gravity, so I think you could do this with more realistic gravity, so you replace the linear by quadratic. Yeah, and when you use uh, the Gibbs measure, if uh, the temperature goes to infinity, right, you have a uniform distribution. So in that case, how the update uh, of the ball will be? Well, the problem is that it's kind of difficult to throw into infinite space using the uniform distribution, so uh, or, in a sense, it's impossible, so... So... The limit doesn't exist, the, hmm? the limit basically doesn't exist, right? It doesn't... Yeah, it's a, you, you cannot write down a probability measure which describes our, like... Yeah, so... It's something which is not, in a way, it's not physical to have a uniform distribution on an infinite space. But if you have a bounded space, and then there you can use uniform distribution. So actually, this is a work done by uh, Greg Warrington, and uh, he wrote to American Mathematical uh, Monthly, so uh, the similar calculation about um, uniform distribution. And this is how the uniform distribution on a bounded space Gibbs measure looks like. So, so the Gibbs measure actually looks quite complicated somehow. And Warrington is not the probabilist, he's a combinatorist, so, so that's why in a combinatorics, well, he's maybe kind of kind of happy to, to write down um, products and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's, that's the uniform picture in, in a bounded space, but in an infinite uniform is not uh, feasible. Yeah. Can I ask one question as well before we let people go? The, I was wondering about some intuition for the, the, the convex order, and that, for instance, one of the things one might obviously deduce is, say, you have it for like the variance and for like, you know, you've got, you've got squares and fourths I can put in, but it doesn't give me uh, like skewness of the variables are not comparable in that order. And so I'm wondering what the intuition is if, I, if you tell me one variable is bigger than another, 
in that order. Yeah. What sort of restrictions are you suggesting? Um, Let me think. If you think of the increase in convex order, is somehow it's an order which simultaneously says that okay, if x is less than y in the increase in convex, it means that y is somehow on the average is bigger than x, but it's also more variable. So it's more random. If you take out the increasing, and you can also define like the convex order so that you require for all convex test functions this. So this one, um, this one actually for all convex phi. So this is the usual um, measure of variability. So it means that y is in a certain well-defined sense more random than x. And actually it's in the precisely in the Martingel sense that you can write down a, a kind of two Martingale so that this is the conditional on that. So, so uh, there's a German guy called Kellerer or was so Kellerer's theory of um, this type of um, things give give quite a detailed picture of that. So, but increasing convex kind of combines the variability and the kind of biggerness. So in in a queuing system, if you have more variable service times but also longer at the same time somehow so the so that the, the increasing convex kind of uh, kind of combines them and says that your workload increases either by more variability or by kind of deterministic more length well, thank you one more time